Part five of Ghosts and Family Legends, a volume for Christmas by Catherine Crow. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part five, Round the Fire, Fifth Evening. I have but one experience to relate, said Miss D., the next speaker. When I was a child, I and my elder sister slept in two beds, placed close beside each other. We were in the country, and one night my father, going to the door, perceived an unusual light in the sky, and learnt on inquiry that there was a great fire a mile or two off. He said he'd go to see it, and the night being fine, my mother accompanied him, having first seen us safe in bed. She locked the chamber door and took the key, thinking that everybody would be out looking at the fire, and we might take the opportunity of playing tricks, for we were quite young at the time, not more than six or seven years old. After they were gone, we lay chattering, as children do, about our own little concerns, when our voices were suddenly arrested by terror. At the foot of my bed I perceived a figure, apparently kneeling, for I saw only the head, but that I saw distinctly. It looked dark and sad, and the eyes were intently fixed on me. I crept into my sister's bed, and neither of us dared to look up again till my mother returned, and came to see if we were asleep. We had not closed our eyes, and we told her what we had seen, agreeing perfectly in our account of it. The room was searched, but nothing unusual found. The incident made a lasting impression on my sister and myself, and we both remember the face as if we had seen it but yesterday." One of the ladies present mentioned a very similar circumstance occurring to herself, but as she was alone at the time, she had always endeavored to believe it an illusion. The first part of the story I am going to relate to you, said Dr. S., was told me by an eminent man in my own profession, who had every opportunity of testing the truth of it. The latter part I give you on my own word. Some years ago there was a house in the suburbs of Dublin that had remained a long time unoccupied, in consequence, it was said, of its evil reputation. The report was that it was haunted. People who had taken it got rid of it as soon as they could, and those who lived in the neighborhood affirmed that they saw lights moving about the interior, and sometimes a lady in white standing at the window with a child in her arms, when they knew there was no living creature except rats and mice within the walls. The wise and learned laughed at these rumors, but still the house remained empty and was going into a very dilapidated state. The former owner of the house was dead. He was a miser or a misanthrope or both. At all events, for several years he had lived in it utterly alone and scarcely ever seen by anybody. It was rumored that for a short time a young female had been occasionally observed by the neighbors, but she disappeared as suddenly as she had appeared, and nobody knew whence she came, nor whither she was gone. His life was a mystery, and whether merely on this account, or whether there were better grounds for it, there had certainly existed a prejudice against him. However, as I said, he had been dead some years and the relative to whom the property had fallen on his decease was naturally very anxious to let the house and offered it to any occupant at an extremely low rent. At length a gentleman who wanted to establish a manufactory 
seeing that it would answer his purpose for the premises were extensive and there was some garden ground behind took it and erected buildings on this waste ground for his workmen to inhabit between the new part and the old there was a long vestibule or covered passage by which they might pass from one to the other without exposing themselves to the weather a large door which was open by day and closed at night divided this passage in two and on one side there was a small room or office where a clerk sat and kept the books and memoranda of various sorts incident to a considerable business however the thing was scarcely set going and established before it reached the ears of the master that the workmen objected to pass the night on the premises the reason alleged being that they were disturbed and alarmed by various sounds especially footsteps and the banging of the heavy door in the vestibule which divided the sleeping places from the workrooms at first the objection being thought absurd was not attended to next it was supposed to be a trick of some of the workmen to frighten the others but when it became serious and they began to act upon it and steady respectable men declared they heard these things the master still persuaded it was some practical jokers among them mystifying the more simple took measures first to ascertain if such sounds as they described were audible and next to discover who made them for this purpose he sat up himself and his clerks sat up and exactly as had been described at one o'clock this clatter and banging of doors commenced that is there was the sound for the doors remained immovable and though they heard footsteps they could see nobody still said the manufacturer who was not willing to be made the victim of this mischievous conspiracy we must discover who it is and we shall when they are more off their guard and for this purpose it was arranged that a relation of his own a young man in whose discretion and courage he had great confidence should sleep in the office accordingly a bed was prepared there and he arranged himself for that night or as many future nights as it might be necessary determined not to relinquish the investigation till he had unravelled the mystery at dawn of day the next morning there was a violent knocking at the outer door an early passenger had found this young man in the street with nothing on but his night-dress and in a state of delirium he was taken home and dr w was sent for the result was a brain fever but when he recovered he said that he had gone to bed and to sleep that he was awakened by a loud noise and that just as he was about to rise to ascertain the cause his door opened and the apparition of a female dressed in white entered and approached his bedside he remembered no more but being seized with horror supposed he had got out of the window into the street where he was found this was certainly very extraordinary and very serious still the persuasion that it was some mystification prevailed and dr w s offer to pass a night in the office himself was gladly accepted he had informed me of the young man's illness and the cause of it and when i heard of his intention i requested leave to bear him company the noise had not been interrupted by the catastrophe that had occurred and nobody had slept in the office during the young man's confinement 
The bed had been removed, but we declined having it replaced, for we wished our intention to remain a secret. Besides, we preferred watching through the night. It was not till the workmen had all retired that we took up our position, accompanied by a sharp little terrier of mine, and each armed with a pistol. We took care to go over the house, to make sure that nobody was concealed in it, and we examined every door and window to ascertain that it was secure. We had provided ourselves with refreshments also, to sustain our courage, and we entered upon our vigil with great hopes of detecting the imposition. Dr. W. is a most enlightened and agreeable companion, and we soon fell into a lively discussion that carried us away so entirely that, I believe, we had both ceased to think of the object of our watch when we were recalled to it by the clock in the vestibule striking one, and the loud bang that immediately followed, accompanied by the barking of our little dog, who had been aroused from a tranquil sleep by the uproar. W. and I seized our pistols and rushed into the passage, followed by the terrier. We saw nothing to account for the noise, but we distinctly heard receding footsteps, which we hastened to pursue, at the same time urging on the dog. But instead of running forward, he slunk behind, with his tail between his legs, and kept at our heels the whole way. On we went, distinctly hearing the footsteps preceding us along the vestibule, down some steps, and finally down some stairs that led to an unused cellar, in one corner of which lay a heap of rubbish. Here the sound ceased. We removed the rubbish, and under it lay some bones, which we recognized at once as parts of a human skeleton. On further examination we ascertained that they were the remains of a female and a newborn infant. They were buried, and the men were no more disturbed with these mysterious noises. Who the woman was was never ascertained, nor was any further light thrown upon these strange circumstances. Some remarks on the terror displayed by animals on these occasions elicited a curious story from Mrs. L., they not only seem to see sometimes, she said, what we do not, but occasionally to be gifted with a singular foreknowledge. Many years ago, she continued, I and my husband went to pay a visit in the north. I am very fond of animals, and my attention was soon attracted by a dog that was not particularly handsome, but seemed gifted with extraordinary intelligence. I see, said my hostess, you are struck with that dog. Well, he is the most mysterious creature. He not only opens and shuts the door, and rings the bell, and does all sorts of wonderful things, but I am sure he understands every word we say, and that he knows as well what I am saying now as you do. Moreover, we got him in a very unaccountable manner. One night, not long ago, we had been out to dinner, and on returning at a pretty late hour, we found the gentleman stretched out comfortably on the dining-room rug. "'Where in the world did this dog come from?' I said to the servants. They couldn't tell. They declared the doors had been long shut, and that they had never set eyes on him till that minute. "'Well,' I said, "'don't turn him out. He'll no doubt be claimed by someone in the neighborhood, for he had quite the manners and air of a dog accustomed to good society, and I liked his large, expressive eyes. He made himself quite at home, and now we have discovered what a strangely intelligent creature he is. 
I hope no one will claim him, for I should be very sorry to part with him. But, added she, poor Mrs. X can't endure him. Mrs. X, I must mention, was a widow lady, also on a visit there, with an only son. Why? said I. It is rather singular, certainly, said she, but whenever young X is in the room, the dog never takes his eyes off his face. You see, he has peculiar eyes. They're full of meaning, and out of doors he does the same. Perhaps the dog has taken a fancy to him, I suggested. It does not seem to be that. No, I think he likes me and Mrs. C and my children a great deal better. I can't tell what it is, but if you watch, you'll see it. I did, and it was really remarkable, and evidently annoyed Mrs. X very much. The young man affected to laugh at it, but I don't think he liked it altogether. Suddenly, one evening, Mrs. X, whose visit was to have extended to some weeks longer, announced that she should take her departure in a few days. I suspected this move was occasioned by her desire to get away from the dog, and so did my hostess, and we both thought it absurd. Mr. L., being obliged to return to London, we took our leave the morning after this announcement was made, but we had scarcely arrived there when a letter from my friend followed, informing me that young Mr. X had been unfortunately drowned in the fish-pond, and that the dog had never been seen since the accident, though they had made inquiries and sought for him in every direction. Whence he came, or whither he went, they were never able to discover. But, said Mrs. L., as this is not a ghost story, I will tell you another anecdote that belongs more legitimately to the subjects you are treating of. Once, when we were traveling in the north, Mr. L. fell ill of a fever at Paisley. This detained us there, and the minister called on us. When Mr. L. recovered, we returned his visit, and in the course of conversation some of the old customs of the Scotch fell under discussion. Amongst others, the cuddy-stool, which we had heard, still subsisted. "'Why don't you abolish it?' said Mr. L. "'It would be much better to amend people by other influences than exposure.' "'Well, sir,' said the good man, "'that was my opinion also, and I had determined to do it. Before taking the step, however, I thought it advisable to publish my reasons, and I was one day sitting at the table writing on the subject.' when I looked up and beheld my father, who was minister here before me, and died in this manse, sitting on the opposite side of the table. "'Don't do any such thing, David,' said he. "'Morality is loose enough. Don't make it looser.'" End of Part 5